Hi, friend. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. And it is my sincere hope you'll hear something that will encourage, edify, equip, and then get you out into the marketplace of ideas. But before you listen, I'm going to tell you about this month's Truth Tool. My Truth Tool is offered to anyone who gives a financial gift to In the Market with Janet Parshall. And this month, I've chosen the book, Connecting the Dots, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Ever been there? Of course you have. We all have been. Sometimes we think we're walking in circles, and we're wondering whether or not God has left us, we've walked away from Him, what in the world we're doing if we're even in the center of His will. So this book is designed to help you find peace and confidence in your current challenge. And all of us have challenges. It also will make sense of most of the lessons you're learning right now. And the most important part of this and why I felt this would be appropriate is because it will help clarify in your mind the unique mission and message that God has given to you. So the book is called Connecting the Dots. It's yours for a gift of any amount. And all you have to do is call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. And give a gift of any amount, and we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. If you prefer to do it online, that's easy as well. In the market with JanetParshall.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Click on through, make your gift, and again, we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. Just below the picture of the book is a description of what it means to be a partial partner. Those are people who give every month a gift of their own choosing. They set the level of giving. I don't. But they'll always get the truth tool. And in addition to that, a weekly newsletter that goes out as well. So consider being a partial partner or getting a copy of Connecting the Dots by calling 877-JANET-58 or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Now please enjoy the program. friends, this is Janet Parshall, and I want to welcome you to the best of In the Market. Today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines are not open, but I do hope you'll enjoy today's edition of the best of In the Market with Janet Parshall. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. Extremely rare safety move by a nation. 17 years of Palestinians and Israelis Friends, welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. So how many of us heard when we were growing up that little ditty that said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Well, wait, is that true? I don't know how many of us have had stones or sticks thrown at us, but I bet we've had hurtful words hurled at us on more than one occasion. And they do hurt. In fact, they wound deeply. In fact, sometimes they're wounds that you can carry from a child into adulthood. And sometimes they shape and mold the way you think about yourself, and everybody's on a search for significance. And so if hurtful words have left dents and bruises and bumps on who you are and how you define yourself, how do you become more of a, well, Teflon person? So when those words are hurled, they don't stick, they bounce off. That's what we're going to talk about this hour, and we need a wise and good teacher. And that's exactly what we've got and Dr. Linda Mintel. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist, a licensed clinical social worker, a national expert on relationships and the psychology of food, weight, and body image. She's written multiple, multiple, multiple books. She's the winner of multiple awards. She hosts her own radio program. She's got a podcast, and the list goes on and on and on. All I know is that this is a woman who blends together everything she's ever learned and teaches, by the way, to medical students on a regular basis with the incarnate word. And I'm telling you, that makes her a very powerful teacher because she understands 
the nuances of interpersonal relationships so she can read all the books out there from Jung to Freud to Gestalt, all she wants to. But the best physician is the best manual, and that's the Word of God. So, Linda, thank you so much for being here. And I know you put a lot of thought into the blogs that you're going to write, but they the ideas don't come ex nihilo. They have to come from somewhere. Either somebody asks a question in class or you read an article that got you thinking. So I'm wondering where this whole idea of words being hurtful came from and why you made the decision to write the piece. Okay, you're going to ask me to be real honest about this. So I uh, I have been teaching medical students for a number of years now, and I have seen a very big difference in the way that students actually talk to their professors and their teachers. It's become somewhat of a national concern um, about the sort of meanness of student feedback in many, many universities. And universities are often held captive by student feedback because student feedback is used to to help um, decide about your promotions and how well you're doing and a number of other things that relate to being a faculty. And you'd put that in the context of just trying to navigate social media and looking at all the very mean and awful things that are said in social media. And even in the church, Janet, Mm -hmm. uh, we have a tendency to cancel people and to speak to people who don't think and believe like we do in uh, very negative and often mean ways. And so I just feel somehow that the changes in the culture have really sort of blown things open and wide for just say whatever you feel and react to whatever you want to react and don't exercise any self-restraint or don't exercise any self-control. And then, of course, as my role as a therapist, I have seen over you know, years and years, decades, actually, of the power of words and the hurt that can happen with people when they hear very negative things as children, how that affects their attachment with their parents, how that, like you said, just continues to carry with them in adults. And so we live in a very, very negative world right now, Mm -hmm. negative culture right now, where so much of what is being said is bad news not good news. And yet we know we have the author of good news uh, at our fingertips (laughs) and in our lives, actually. (laughs) Yes. And amen to that. So two questions as you observe what's going on socially. So there's a devolution here for sure. And there were two words I wrote down when you were speaking. One is, what happened to the filters we used to have? Our moms or grandmothers used to say, honey, if you don't have something nice to say about somebody, don't say it at all. Well, apparently that's gone the way of the dodo bird and your feelings, your truth, speaking your voice is far more important. What gave rise to that, do you think, from your perspective? There's so many factors involved in this, but I think social media really blew things open because you're anonymous on those platforms. You can say whatever you think, and it sort of builds. You know, there's a building. Um, as we as we talk a little bit, I, we're going to probably talk a little bit about the brain and how the brain really focuses on the negative. And media outlets, marketing people, news outlets, they all know this. They all know that the more negative a story is, the more attention that story is going to get to it. So as we've sort of opened up the culture with this unrestraint um, these these platforms of unrestraint because you can remain anonymous. You can say what you don't have to look a person in the eye. You don't have to know them. Um, you can judge them very quickly. And we certainly have seen the impact of bullying on kids and the the high rates of suicide that we're seeing, and in part related to things that are said on these platforms. So I think that's one of the biggest um, contributors to all of this. Yeah. And in that process, I think, Janet, what's happened is we've really lost 
our ability, and you see this in politics especially, but in other spheres as well, I see it in education, um, where we see that we cannot civilly disagree with someone without reducing that person mm. to that disagreement. Mm-hmm. So it's it's almost like if they say one thing we don't like, something we don't agree with, we just we discount their entire life or we yep. just write them off. And there is a lack of grace that is being shown in our culture to, to other people. So I think that is a big factor too, that people are so polarized at this point that they just want to hear the things that confirm their own biases. And they the Lippman test of whether you're going to even talk to people these days is do you agree with me or not? And I'm not even going to have a conversation with you if you don't think the same way I I think. So this culture of reactivity that we have developed with people, reducing them to these, you know, all or nothing stances is so dangerous. And it's so frightening to me when I see how this impacts the way people feel about each other. Yeah. Wow. This is going to be, I'm going to use my mama's word, this is going to be a delicious conversation because it's timely, it's important. And I do not think, Linda, there's a person within the sound of our voice who hasn't either uttered hurtful words or been the recipient of hurtful words. And for the believer, this is not a sidebar conversation, by the way. The Bible tells us that this little muscle in the mouth called your tongue, it has the power of life and death. Now, if the Lord characterizes that muscle in your mouth with having that kind of authority in your life, Apparently, we're supposed to take it under control. I think there's something about a bit in the mouth as well. Anybody who understands horses gets that. Back after this. God's work tends to follow a specific circular pattern in every season of life. When we understand His pattern, we gain perspective on His hand in our life. That's why I've chosen Connecting the Dots as this month's truth tool. Find clarity for your unique mission and message. Ask for your copy of Connecting the Dots when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. Or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. We're talking with Dr. Linda Mintel, who's a therapist, a clinical social worker, a teacher, a blogger, an author. The list goes on and on and on. In one of her recent blog pieces, she wrote about the power of words, and I think it's something particularly we as followers of Jesus need to be talking about. So let me go back to two things that you said before that caught my attention. Number one, uh, I was asking why the devolution, and one was this question about filters, and you gave a brilliant answer, but you said something in your response that caught my attention, and it's the physiology of how we're hardwired. Why is the brain attracted to negative stories? Yeah, it's it's so funny. I was having this conversation with uh, a neurologist uh, who is one of my coworkers, and and we were talking about it. We're both believers, and we said, you know, why would God wire our brains like this? <laughs> you yeah. know, because I, I think in part, I, honestly, this is I don't really know the answer to that, but my my sort of guess as to this as as to why our brains naturally go so negative is so that we would have complete dependence on the Lord and that the Holy Spirit in us would be a transforming power in our lives and Mm. we would be dependent on him. So that is kind of where I think this is going. But it's so interesting, Janet, when you look at this, we do tend to feel the sting of rebuke more powerfully than praise. Mm. So it's really interesting. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why in a lot of relationship work, we talk about you have to have five praises to one negative to keep the relationship in somewhat of a positive state. 
because our brain really, really focuses on those bad impressions that we get of people, the words that people say that are difficult or traumatizing to us. They just have such a lingering impact. And the brain remembers insults better than it does praise. So that's one thing that's really, really kind of interesting. Another one is we have this this strong, really strong um, reactions to anything negative, and we focus on negative things more frequently, and we respond to them. Um, even if they're, if they're, you know, there's some positive things going on, we tend to focus on those negatives. And I know that our listeners are thinking about that right now. You know, you get an evaluation, and you get one negative comment. You don't talk about all the. 25 positive comments, <laughs> you talk about that one negative comment and your brain just keeps focusing on that. And, um, you know, words, negative words can release stress. They can release anxiety. Um, you know, they have these, the, the hormones that create all the problems in our body, situational stress and long time anxiety can come from hearing uh, these negative words. And one thing that's really interesting now, just thinking about news coverage, that negative news is perceived as more truthful and more valid. Ooh. Isn't that interesting? Oh, it's awful, though. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> I, know. Oh. I know. I know. So there's so many of this, the ways that negative, the brain can go negative so easily. They call it, in neuroscience, they call it a negative bias or uh, negativity bias. So we have this tendency to go negative. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons why God tells us to daily, Jesus says, daily renew your minds, renew mm. your minds with the words mm -hmm. of the Lord. And, yep. and then he tells us what to think on. And it's not negative things, it's positive things. Because the way that we are created, we are created for God. And our dependency on God needs to be a daily, almost a moment by moment, breathing, living thing. And so this is not something I can easily do in my own power. Because yes. if I know that my brain goes negative, then I have to start thinking, okay, God, then I have to be so intentional mm. with creating the positive because positive words can have wonderful effects on the brain and the body and the person as well. Golly, I'd love to sit in any class you taught. You're such a clear and good <laughs> teacher, honestly. And I was thinking when you were talking to, uh, when I asked this question, and we probably won't get the definitive answer until we're in his presence. There may be something in there about our basics in nature. But the antidote is already in his word. Whatever the causal factors, the antidote is there. So when you look at the world's best psych manual in the world, the word says to, to set your mind on things above. Okay, that's the antithesis of negativity. This is the anticipation of being in his presence forever. Philippians, you talked about that list. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, whatever is of good report, not the negative news story, the good report, think on these things. So in other words, there is our creator reminding us he knows how we're hardwired, what our propensities are, but he gives us the solution. I mean, yet again, another revelatory moment in scripture of his love for us. I know, I know this is your struggle. I know this is your nature. Let me tell you how to handle this. So setting our mind on things above. So I appreciate that. That takes me to the second thing about the devolution. And this is why having you as a teacher is so good, because you make us think critically and biblically when you're teaching. So we talked about the filters. The other thing, too, is how about just the issue of empathy? For the believer especially, he hmm. had compassion on them. I can't read that in the New Testament without getting tears in my eyes, because it's almost always in a spot hmm. where my human nature would have reacted 
antithetically to compassion, but that's not what Jesus did. He had compassion. So in my common parlance, it would be empathy. I'm not going to say that because it's going to hurt you. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to have empathy, but are we seeing the devolution of empathy as well in this culture? Yeah, I mean, we we actually measure it in a lot of populations, and it's it's something that is not there, or very there's very little. Now, the good news is we can train people to be to be empathetic, mm. but here's here's something that I I wrote about in my mother mother daughter book that I did when I was dealing with a lot of women who are um, adult women who are struggling with their moms because their moms were saying critical things and negative words, or they weren't available, or they were neglectful, or they were, you know, altered with substance use and all kinds of negative negative adverse childhood experiences that that many, many people have, right? Because of um, a lot of things that are going on in people's lives. So when I would, would sit with a a um, an adult daughter, I would say, you know how when you, you take your, your camera, in, in our case, most of us with our cell phone, right? right. And we, we take a picture and we, we can see a snapshot of a moment in time in that picture. But then there's this other thing that's called a landscape approach or panoramic view. And when we put on that panoramic view, all of a sudden we have context. We see what was next to us, around us, beside us, all over, you know, all over the picture. And suddenly we have a context to understand that Mm. picture. That's the same with relationships. Without a context of empathy, without being able to see people with the struggles and the fullness of who they are, it's easily to dismiss them and it's easily just to take those words and react to them. Such good counsel from Dr. Linda Mental. We're far from over. Stick with us. We're going to continue to talk about the power of words and how we can get that kind of Teflon lining that's so necessary. We'll continue after this. talking with Dr. Linda Mintel, who uh, wears many hats, all of them beautifully, by the way. She's a professor of behavioral medicine. She's a prolific author. She blogs, and I'm so glad she does because it often becomes the catalyst for our conversations. And she wrote a piece recently about the power of words. Scripture has an awful lot to say about this, but don't you find it fascinating? I certainly do. When you delve into the science, you know, science confirms what the Bible already tells us. There's been no conflict despite reports to the contrary. And so when you understand all of the way in which we have proclivities, propensities, God turns around and he offers the way of uh, healing and redemption, and even in our brokenness, which I think is so important. So we talked about our leaning toward the negative as opposed to the positive. And I made the statement earlier, and you're the professor here, Linda. Talk to me about why we often carry, especially that I wrote down that stat about how you know, how many praises we need to offset one negative comment. So that tells you the power, the weight that's done to that. If it, And you write about this in the article. If it comes from we're not hearing the words we needed to affirm us, not self-centeredness. And by the way, maybe you can expand mm-hmm. on that a little bit because Christians get all gummed up in this about why being affirmed, particularly by a parent, if it's in absentia, you drag that like Marley's chain into your adulthood mm. Why is that so crucial? And if that has happened and you are dragging that chain, you can't go back, you know, it's sorry, back to the future only happens in the movies. How do you make sure that you repair what the power of those words did when you were young? Yeah, and it it is something to really identify in your life because there is real 
power, like we've been saying, in those negative words that may have been said over and over to you or sometimes by omission. And, you know, you go back to the huge study of adverse childhood experiences and and when people experience at least four out of the 10 of the, of these adverse experiences at childhood, and, and a bunch of them are related to physical abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, um, neglect is, is in their divorce, all of these things, having a person incarcerated. There are 10 of these. And when you have four of these, you're, you're really in line for some potentially mental health problems mm. because they have such an impact. And, and one of the things that's so interesting with the science to me is that when you are given a compliment so when a parent praises a child or um, something that they've done and gives them a compliment um, for, you know, something that they've accomplished or just for being them, it's so interesting because what happens in the body is this hormone oxytocin that we've sometimes heard about because it's related to love and bonding. That hormone gets released in the body and that builds trust and relationships and a, an ability to be with that person and feel safe and be open and trusting. When you don't have that growing up, you are suspicious of people and not trusting of people. And you're constantly feeling like there's an emptiness in your in yourself that is looking for that affirmation or that validation or that need to just be somehow affirmed that you're okay. So this has tremendous impact on people and trauma is one of the ways that people feel this intensely, but negative words, the number of people I have seen in therapy because their parents told them they were losers, they weren't wanted, um, you know, they could never do anything right, constantly critical of them, telling them they're fat or they're, they're, you know, they're not smart or all these things that we think, oh, it's just a comment. No, it's not a comment. It goes deep, deep into the psyche, into the brain. And those, those comments then affect us with not feeling safe. And when we don't feel safe, then we don't feel protected. And when we don't feel protected, the body is on constant vigilance with stress. And then we're releasing all these negative stress hormones in our body, which are making us feel even worse. So you've got to be able to go, you know, identify that that may have been your, the case with you, but then we've got to go back and we've got to do some corrective work. And the beauty of the Christian faith is that we have the ultimate cre- correction, mm-hmm. and that is God the Father as a the, the ultimate parent who can say to you, no, um, you say, you know, that you're not worthy, I say you are. You say that you're not wanted, I say that you are. You say that you're not cherished, I say that you are. So if we're grounded in the Word of God and we continue to look into the Word and we say, who does God say that I am? Who does God, how does God see me? What does He say about me? And what is His character? Is His character, is He going to leave me? Is He going to abandon me? Is He going to judge me unjustly? Is he going to, you know, do something to me to strike me down into punishment? No. If we are grounded in the word, which by the way, we're not most, most of us, Mm -hmm. um, we need to get grounded in the word to really get that corrective experience. And then of course you can get that corrective experience with other people as well. So God can put a godly coach into your life or a teacher or a mentor or somebody who can come alongside you and say, you've heard these messages, but I'm here to correct those messages. And I'm going to tell you that you are worth something. Not to get too theological here, because I love the way you're describing the way we're put together. 
But you've got the parent, flesh and blood parent versus the spirit of the Lord found in his word. So some people might say, well, I need, as some people have said, Jesus with skin on. I need somebody to affirm. Mm -hmm. That's that mentor. That's that coach that you were just talking about before. But it's not an either or, it seems to me. It's a both and. And we have to allow the power of the Holy Spirit through the promises made in his word. You just ticked off some of them. Beautiful about you think you're not, but I say you are instead statements. That's the power and the majesty of the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we have to give that a chance. You quoted, by the way, C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity in your piece, which was excellent. Until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. And then you point out that real self is the one that not your parents, not even you. It's the one that God defined back after this. There's a sense of anxiety in our country, and I know you feel it too. As a partial partner, you can help reach the world with the truth and peace found only in Christ. And as a partial partner, you'll receive exclusive behind-the-scenes information and benefits directly from me, keeping you up to date on what's going on in our world. So call 877-JANET-58 or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. We're visiting with Dr. Linda Mintel, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist, a licensed clinical social worker and a national expert on relationships and the psychology of food. She's a prolific author, over 19 books credited to her. She's a blogger. She hosts her own radio program. And she writes with eloquence and application of truth, both found in the understanding of the nuances of human dynamics and, most importantly, in the Word of God. So we've been talking about a blog piece she wrote that talks about the power of words. And I don't know about you, but I'm stunned by some of the things we've learned so, so far and how there really needs to be an act of the will. We talked about Lewis before. The will must precede the emotion, Lewis said. And so this is one of those things where if you didn't get those affirming words growing up, if you've still got wounding now, what do you do? What sort of armor can you put on to deflect some of these things in the future? And one of the things I just love about the work you do, Linda, is that you're you're so filled with pragmatics. So, okay, I can't go back in time. I can't get someone who wounded me when I was a child to take those words back necessarily now that I'm a grown-up. But there are things I can do going forward to protect the bruises and the bumps. So what are some of those things? Well, I, I like what you said. You already you already kind of mentioned one of the major ones, which is trying to build empathy for people, other people. And instead of listening to the words that they say, try to look at the context of their life and say what's going on in their life, not excusing their behavior, but trying to build a bigger picture of that person so that you're not just listening to their negative words, but you're going, oh, that's a person who was abused as a child. That's mm-hmm. a person who, um, you know, had a very rough life, who didn't have anybody affirming them. Maybe this is a generational pass down, that kind of thing. And again, I'm not saying that to excuse people's behavior. I'm saying that to build more of an empathetic approach in your own life. But I think a real practical thing is just get off social media. If you're really struggling with negativity, feeling that, you know, you're not worth anything and that you feel like you're being beaten down every day and you're constantly thinking about all the the negative things people say to you, 
that would be the biggest, biggest um, beginning would be to maybe even fast. You know, there's a there's a time of the year when people begin to do Lent and they, they give up things. Maybe you can give up social media for a period of time and just see if your negativity feels better. See if you feel better about yourself going off of that. And related to that, Janet, it's such a, a basic idea, but it's a real it's a real specific thing of getting off of social media and then forcing yourself, making yourself, being intentional about developing real life community. And we don't talk about this enough in the church. We don't talk about we have to find people in our lives that we can do life together with. That's I mean, one of the taglines of my show is we're doing life together and it's better when you don't do it alone mm-hmm. because it's the brain is searching for another brain and another person. And God wired us interper- to be interpersonal and to be in community. He had a band of 12. He didn't go it alone. He had people around him. He sent the disciples out two by two in the early church so that they'd be together. You've got to have people in your life that you can talk to, that you can feel safe with, that you can build a community with. And the more that we do that, then we can start countering all this negativity in the culture and we can be what the church needs to be, which is to lift each other up, to encourage each other, to bring words of encouragement and um, and and focusing on the things that are good and of eternal significance. And then I think if you're still struggling, you know, if you're thinking, well, I can, I, maybe I can do some of that. But one of the, easy, the biggest things that I teach um, uh, patients and students and anybody who, who struggles with this really is when the negative thought comes into your mind, just distract your mind. So distract mm. it away from that thought. Don't click on that thought. You know, I, I always think about thoughts are like spam. You know, they come into our mind. They just kind of come in, <laughs> they come and they go, you know. And when I have spam, the worst thing I can do is click on one of those folders and sit on it. And then I'm then I'm down a, a, a rabbit hole, right? So the mind is kind of like that. When a negative thought comes into your mind, just don't click on it. Instead, distract yourself away. And you can distract by prayer. You can distract by taking a walk. You can distract by playing a game, reading. One a great way, if you if you can do it with earbuds, so nobody, nobody, you're not disturbing anybody, put on some worship music. Um, I mean, listen to that Lauren Daigle song. I was almost quoting her song, You Say, I Say. This is what you say, I say. You know, mm-hmm. That great song that she wrote. You know, So you have to distract the brain away from that negativity because the more you think about it, the more you focus on that, those awful words that person said to you, you're actually consolidating those words, those words in your brain, because the brain will focus on what you tell it to focus on. So you don't want to consolidate those negative thoughts. You want to either challenge those negative thoughts with something that is true that God has told you, or you want to distract yourself away from those thoughts so that you don't continue to focus and focus and focus on that because it won't take you anywhere. Doesn't that really flesh out in practical application the idea of taking every thought captive? Yeah. 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 That's exactly, you know, what I say, I say that, you know, when you, when a thought comes into your head, it's not that the thought is necessarily, you did something terrible to make that thought come in your head, but when it comes in, you want to contain it. You want to grab it. You want to, you want to look at it and go, is, is that a thought from God? Is that a thought that's going to be positive or negative? Is that a thought that's going to lead me down a bad path? Grab it, take it, and then 
change it with something that's more true or more positive or something I would say that lines up with the the word of God. Even a thought like my parents, you know, said this horrible thing to me. You can grab that thought and say, okay, maybe they did, but you know what? My boss just says just said something really nice to me. And that is equally powerful in my life. Maybe not equally, but it's powerful in my life to listen to that. And I'm going to try to focus on the new things I hear that people are saying to me about who I am that are positive. I love that. Let me linger here for a minute. What about for the person whose tape is always on the same channel, which is negative, negative, negative? You talked about countering with the positive statement that the boss had made. Doesn't that require a quickening of your heart so that you're learning to be receptive to the positive because you've only gravitated toward the negative? Yeah. And so you you have to be intentional about this. You have to stop and identify, what am I thinking right now? Because again, what we think is tied to our emotions, which then, you know, influences the way we behave and then how we perceive the world. So if you can grab a thought and you can say, what is this thought right now? It's it's really negative. We all can do this. I, I do this. I did this today. I knew we were going to talk about this. <laughs> and so I was having this conversation. I went, oh, okay, there I go. I'm going negative. I, I recognized it. You know, I just said, that was a negative thought. I'm going to have to say that tonight because I'm talking to Janet, you know, <laughs> that I'm having this negative thought and I had to stop. I actually literally did this in my head. I stopped and I went, okay, change that to something more positive. Make that a more positive thought. Mm. And sometimes when you focus on something of gratitude or something that you, you know, something good that happened during the day and even shifting the conversation, sometimes humor can do that and break it up. It's really training your mind and and renewing the mind, as the scripture says, to think on those things that are positive and good mm-hmm. and worthy and praiseworthy and all the, the list that we have in Philippians. So you can train your mind, but you have to be aware of the negativity. And yeah. all you have to do is have somebody, if you don't know, have somebody listen to you and say, and in fact, I've had people journal for a day, journal anything you said that was negative. And people have come back with books. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're not aware. You're not aware. No, you're it not really aware. Starts with some awareness. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And it's, so if you can get someone in your life, you can say, ah, you're going negative again, or here we go. We're on that same cycle again. And this, where is this taking you? It's not taking you to a good emotional place. We're not denying that people were hurt. I, I don't want anybody to think that I'm right. minimizing mm-hmm. hurt or denying that. But if you focus on it, it creates this intense neural pathway in the brain that will just keep bringing it to your memory. And you don't want to keep doing that. Yeah. Right. So you create new muscle memory, which is so good. Uh, Let me go to the journal and the things that people are writing down, coming back with books. Um, Not to put too fine a point on it, but this might be important. If you are cognizant that you yourself have uttered negative words and who among us has not, Is there a place or a directive or a mandate? And you can answer me spiritually and you can answer me psychologically, or maybe both have something to say on this. Do we, are we compelled? Does it help us? And we know it would help the recipient to go back and say, you know what? What I said before wasn't very kind and I'm going to ask you to forgive me. Is that somewhere in the picture of how we deal with hurtful words? Psychologically, that's called a repair and when we're in relationships and we've we've been negative and we've said negative things, um, we need to repair uh, mm. those negative conversations. So yes, it's very helpful to go back and to say to somebody, 
You know, I wasn't kind. I was actually mean. I said terrible things. I judged you. And I, I really want this point to get out to everybody that's listening. Person can say one thing or a couple of things and we just write them off. And yep. it's just so wrong yep. because we all slip. We all say things we shouldn't say sometimes, you know, and, and, and if you bring it to my awareness, I can apologize and I can ask for your forgiveness. So that's powerful psychologically. That's also powerfully spiritually because God tells us to confess our sins one to another. So when we know we've hurt somebody with our words and we know we haven't treated somebody kindly um, or in love, and we haven't spoken the truth in love, yes, go back, make that repair, ask for their forgiveness, and then ask God to forgive you as well. Yeah, wow, so good. Again, science not at odds with scripture. Repairs of the breach, doesn't that say that in the book of Isaiah? So I like that, there's the psychological word right there in scripture. Dr. Linda Mintel is with us. She is professor of behavioral medicine among many other hats that she wears. And I'm glad we're staying with this topic because I don't know about you, but I've been taking notes. This is so thought-provoking and uh, in full transparency, oh, convicting. Back after this. Visiting with Dr. Linda Mintel, who is a prolific author, blogger, hosts her own radio program, and also, as I noted before, is a professor of behavioral science. We behavioral medicine, by the way. We're talking about one of the pieces she wrote for her blog, and they're excellent, by the way. I have a link so that you can read them on a regular basis. I strongly encourage you to do that. But it was a very tender and insightful piece about the power of words. And Linda, I know that you've got more practicums there about what we can do. I've written down every single one you said so far. They're all great, common sense. They require some effort. They require some muscle. And they require, if I can put it this way, creating some new pathways in the brain and really with intentionality mm -hmm. redirecting my brain and my thinking in another direction. What are some other pragmatics I can do? Here, here's one that I, I, I really would encourage people to do. So when you hear hurtful words, any kind of hurtful word or somebody, you know, says something horrible on social media about you or whatever it is in your life, in your family, whatever happens, I want you to assess what you're doing physically. And the easiest way to do that is if you have a, an Apple watch or a Fitbit or something that measures your heart rate, if you, your heart rate goes over 100 beats, you need to not say anything. Mm. And we use this in couples work. We actually do a lot of this when people are very in high conflict relationships and they're really angry at each other and they say lots of hurtful, powerful words and they're flying in the office. I put these, these pedometers on their fingers if they don't have a, a Fitbit or some way of measuring their heart rate. And I'll have them, if they go over a hundred in their heart rate, it means that your brain is not thinking. The frontal lobe, which is the thinking part of the brain, just goes offline and the, the emotional part of your brain is just totally in control. And when we're only emotional, we tend to say even more horrible things than we do when we're stopping and we're thinking. So when you're finding yourself really worked up by the things that people have said, 
I would say measure your heart rate if you can. If not, just assess sort of, am I really, really emotional right now and not thinking very well? And do some type of calming exercise. Do some really deep diaphragmic breathing really does help people calm down. It's, it's, it, there's a science to that where it's, it's taking the opposite of your fight and flight and it's just calming your whole body down. So do some deep breathing, do some prayer, do some meta, you know, think about putting on the mind of Christ. And that would be the kind of Christian mindfulness that we, we talk about counting to 10, um, you know, trying to get your your mind distracted again away from the motion into just simply trying to get your your thinking brain back online before you resume any type of uh, conversation with anybody. And I think you know the other thing I, I I think I would say in this in this time that we have, Janet, is you know there was an old song years ago. I, I think it was called "Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places." Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I don't know the song particularly. I just know the title of it. And I thought that's an interesting title because so much of what's happening in our culture today is we're just looking for love and affirmation and approval in all the wrong places. We're we're looking for it online. We're looking for it from our friends. We're looking for it from our peers. You know, we're looking for it from, um, you know, influential people, people with power and money, and we want to belong. And again, I'm going to go back to that belonging that a lot of times we'll say hurtful words, we'll, we'll treat others poorly and even meanly because it's a, it's sort of a tribe of people that we're around and we feel like we're part of the group. And we're trying to build this sense of belonging and community and trying to find this type of affirmation in the people around us. And that doesn't work. And it's a, it's a really poor way to lead your life. You need to have the courage to not join in to mean conversations. You need to have the courage to change the conversation and say, you know what? I'm really uncomfortable right now the way we're talking about that person. And I'd really like to stop the conversation and let's, can we focus on something else, something that might be more powerful mm. um, and, and maybe would lift people up instead of put people down. When you do that, it's, it's, there's kind of this awkward moment. I've tried it <laughs> and, and people just kind of look at you like, oh. Oh, you know, who she thinks she is or something like that. Exactly. But you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to keep going on that because I know it's going in such a bad direction and then I'm going to have to confess and repent and, and let's do some prevention here and, and try not to let that happen. So I think again, controlling the conversation, controlling the tongue, which we all know the Bible says is the rudder, you know, of mm-hmm. our life. It's directing us. So asking for that, the Holy Spirit to restrain you. And we know that's possible because self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's out of love that that self-control comes. And the more we love God, the more we love other people, the more that self-control and that self-restraint will be developed. But we've got to look to God. And in a culture where God is rarely mentioned online or in televisions or movies or whatever we're looking at, you know, we don't see a lot of God talk there. And what we see is a lot of negativity and a lot of blaming and victimizing and, and telling people how unjust everything is and how wrong it is. And I don't think the average person really thinks like that, but we all get revved up when we see all this Mm -hmm. dialogue and this rhetoric that, that, that happens. We've got to learn to calm it down. Yeah. Such wisdom. So you end your piece by saying, look to the one who values you no matter what. Read his words to you in the Bible 
and saturate your mind with how God thinks about you. You are loved, cherished, not forgotten or abandoned, delighted over a child of his and more. That resonates. It's a thousand percent truth. It's affirmed in God's word. You're teaching a class, someone sitting in the class, they don't know Jesus as their savior. How do they do this without Jesus? I think it's a tremendously hard because where is your sense of of moral compass? Where where are you coming from? What is directing your life? If it's always other people and other things and external circumstances, that can't be trusted and that slips away. So, you know, there I, I say you're probably gonna have anxiety, it's probably gonna be difficult. Um, you could try a lot of self-help, you know, and try to get yourself into a positive mode, but ultimately God transforms the heart, and that's what we want. We want a transformed heart in all yeah. of this. And we want to only please the audience of one. Exactly. That's Jesus. Wow, yeah. so good, Linda, and so true. And he can. He can bind up the brokenhearted. He specializes in that. Linda, what a superb conversation. Thank you so, so much. I've got a link. Let me point this out again to Dr. Linda Mintel's website. She's got tons of resources there, including multiple blogs. All of her blogs are there, by the way. And this was just one that I pulled, but she's written some even since this blog was written that I think are well worth your perusal. So check it out. The link's on our website. I picked one of our multiple resources to put on the information page as well. And you can find it all at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Click on the red box. It says program details and audio. It'll take you where you need to go. Linda, on behalf of everybody listening, thank you for a superb, in-depth, insightful conversation. We appreciate you so very much. And friends, I hope you've heard something that's encouraged you today. Thanks again. We'll see you next time on In the Market with Janet Parshall. Retractable claws up to one and a half inches long. Capable of jumping 36 feet. A roar that can be heard five miles away. The lion, king of the beasts. Picture yourself surrounded by several, like Daniel. He determined to pray, though he knew he would pay. Are we willing to face the lions of our culture? Be a Daniel. A challenge for Moody Radio. How long have you been a part of the Moody Radio family? Well, I've been listening to Moody since 1993. And I I mean, I get up with Moody, I would have been with Moody, and it just, it's been a blessing in my life for all these years. The teaching and the worship and Moody is a station that is really rooted in the Word of God and they're serious about who is God. Serious about God? That's us. And we're seriously grateful for listeners like you.